podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. It's the Anfield wrap after the resurgent Reds batter Brighton and made it 16 points from 18 since defeat at Spurs in October and rose to fourth in the Premier League. So joining me, Gareth Roberts, to have a chat about that is Paul Senior, Dan Austin and goals Liverpool reporter Melissa Reddy. Uh, okay, so... Yeah, that was a nice professional opening, wasn't it? Paul? I'm Did just, you like that? I'm just some knobhead that runs a bar. I don't get, a, I don't, I don't get a title. Yeah, death row diamonds. Uh, Soz about you, Melee. Eh? Dan, I've got a title now, haven't I? Yeah, you know what I mean? He's in enough trouble. Ah, how much you mad ego there? Uh, okay, so uh, with hindsight, then who should I start with? Who's looking at me, Mel? Uh, Mel was looking at me there, so Mel can talk first. Uh, with hindsight, then Mel, we all know it's all worked, and we can all pretend we never thought any different. But how did you feel? Two o'clock-ish team comes out you're trying to work out the formation you're wondering what's going on and even when they take to the pitch um, a formation and a lineup that's unfamiliar to everyone Liverpool, Brighton and the wider watching world yeah uh, when you looked at the team you could ascertain I think immediately that Emre Shan was uh, going to play centre-back which I think everyone was okay with because he's played there before given the situation Liverpool found themselves in there was not much you can do, and he's actually got qualities that you know are quite useful off a centre back. Um, and then when the match starts, and you looking at how they're set up, and you see it's a three three man uh, centre back line with Gini Wijnaldum on the left, off Dejan Lovren for the and, first time in his life. Yeah, and Embry on the right. Then you're thinking to yourself, okay, what's going on here? And you know, Ginny looked confused by it Brighton were utterly perplexed they certainly weren't expecting that um and I think you know it's fair enough because Ginny came out afterwards and admitted that he was a bit nervous because he wasn't quite sure when to do what um and but he grew into the game uh, I thought Emre and Lovren did quite well together and um actually if you looked at the way Brighton were going to set up and if you know they're so obstructive and that is inherently their priority in a game to be so hard to play against having two attacking midfielders as center backs wasn't the worst idea in the world given how they were going to set up but yeah it, it worked out pretty well in the end because i mean with that attack that sometimes it just doesn't matter what's happening behind them so when yeah, when Alzheim in defence was a bit mad, wasn't it, Paul? And you know, he he said later on that or Klopp said later on that he only had basically twenty minutes to practice. And there was a few moments, wasn't there? I thought he was a bit liberal with his back passes at times and things like that. But I mean that's that that's the that's understandable, isn't it, in the circumstance? And you know, you know, I think Liverpool have a chance early on, don't they? But I think up, up until that sort of is it eighty seconds or something that they get, end up getting two in around the half hour mark. It wasn't really hinting at being a classic. Like Liverpool were doing all right, but you like Mel says, sort of Brighton's tactics and how they were setting up, and the fact that you know Glenn Murray's their only real sort of attacker outlet, if you like. You know, you, you, you I think until that little spell, you, you weren't certain that it was going to be. You said you weren't you weren't talking about fives. No, at that point, no, you weren't. Um, the, the, the formation thing obviously catches you by surprise, mm. and I don't think anyone looking at the shit. I think everyone presumes it's going to be a back four with mm. with, with just Channing, and then it, it's obviously it's apparent from the first minute that Genie's playing left side of this this defence, but is is obviously stepping out and supporting the midfield a little bit. Um, 
yeah, so that, that bit completely threw me. I think I spent the first 10 minutes of the game actually just in WhatsApp groups trying to yeah. argue with people who were telling me that they're, they're playing four at the back. And I don't think anyone really had a handle on it until about 20, 25 minutes of actually what was going on. Then uh, Liverpool sort of, after that time, it's, it's, it's a non-event really, the first 20 minutes. I think Liverpool are quite happy to feel the game out a little bit let everyone's nerves settle down with what, what what's sort of going on around them. And you sort of, you I think by then you sort of realise Dejan Lovren's almost playing sweeper to a second midfield. Um, and it worked. And I thought I, I quite enjoyed seeing the manager tactically tested in such a way as well. I think that's something I sort of took away from it was that he, he really had very little to pick from there and found a way in. Don't get me wrong, it doesn't, it doesn't look the hardest game on paper but it's, it's an away game against the sides who've you know, come up last year winning loads of games at home I think and, if they got not, any momentum not getting battered either no, I mean not. you know I think last 14 they've conceded 14 something like that so you yeah. know obviously average one a, go, one a game it's not like people are doing them 4 or 5 no they're, six, not, they're not whipping boys yeah. at all and you know I think going, going into the game but he's like 10th 9th 10th in the league something like that so they certainly weren't whipping boys I've got, I've got a lot of respect for the job Chris Hutton doing there as well I think hasn't spent tons of money he's kept faith in a lot of the same lads that brought them up they've got lads like Dunk and Shane Duffy and stuff who they've found a level and that, that, that in my opinion will probably keep them up as well so it, was not, it wasn't it was the easiest game but not the hardest on paper so to, to go with that defence you know I, I was surprised he met, you know Clavin was on the bench and we must have been in a bit of a state not to have gone can you just not do an hour here or or whatever? Six days ill, apparently. So yeah, but it worked. I thought we were good. We um, yeah, we had we had a five-one result. But as you said, from the beginning of the game, I didn't see I didn't see that coming. I mean, these aren't to be sniffed at, Ardy Dan, because you know, not so long ago, and Klopp made the point of of bringing this up really in the press conference as well. You know, these were sides that. The type of sides that that Liverpool were dropping points against. Some people were saying, you know, Liverpool can't get through sides that sort of just you know park the bus and and make it difficult for them and all the rest of it. And he's he's trying different things now, which is interesting as well. You know, there's a lot of talk about his rotation, six changes again. Some of those obviously enforced, um, but also he's trying different formations now. He's tra- he's trying different things. There was a safer thing to do there than than do the Vinaldum thing, but it's almost like, well, the way we win a game is we get our attacking lads on the ball and we score goals, and that, that's ultimately what he did. But he's not just going 4-3-3 every week, is what I'm saying. Yeah, it's not the first time he's changed the shape. Um, and it's a different shape to the one that he was using in the Stoke match and a different shape again to the one that he was using in the Chelsea match. So in a week there, they've played three different ones. I don't think Brighton played in quite the same way or set up in quite the same way that some teams did last season against Liverpool where they were very much just going to sit there and say to Liverpool, break us down. I thought Brighton, at at least in the first half, tried to play a bit more than that. Um, Up until Liverpool scored, they had probably the best chance of the game as well with Glenn Murray. Um, I, I, I think Brighton had an interest in winning the game as we pointed I don't think they were going to do sort of what Huddersfield did when they came to Anfield and just basically sit there and go alright try and beat us um, but I thought that was then interesting in the way that he went with it because I know we're talking about one and playing in defence but I don't think he really did I don't really think any of them did aside from Lovren I know that nominally you'd call mm. that either a three at the back or a five at the back but I think we, I think we had one defender I think we had one defender all day. I don't think I would say that Alexander-Arnold, Robertson, Chan or Wijnaldum were actually playing as defenders, really. Because 
from what it looked like to me, he was basically saying, right, we're going to control the football. We're going to press them. We're going to keep them high up the pitch, play basically on the halfway line. And then if anything goes over the top or if anything goes around the sides, we've got sort of a sweeper there in the shape of Lovren. So I don't think it was... Did you think it's, it felt like two midfields? Because I, I, I yes, yeah, that's my point. It, it felt like what yeah. I would call it would be more like a one-four-four-one. Yeah, that's what I. Yeah, would call so, it. yeah, something like that, or a one-four-three-two. Yeah, sort of, something like that. Depends yeah. where you put um, Salah. But I say I wouldn't actually say I thought Gini Wijnaldum was a centre back because he didn't do an awful lot of defending, and it's not just because. Brighton weren't giving him an awful lot to do. It was because of the position on the pitch. He was deeper than what he would normally be, but he wasn't as deep as what you would expect Mata or Clavan or Gomez or whoever to normally be when we play a four at the back. It was quite fluid. Mm. And in a sense, I think one of the things that I was most um, pleased with is that though Liverpool had to do something so different, that they were still brave enough to be so fluid and with it. Because I think... You know, for somebody, especially like Wijnaldum, when you're given a new task to do that's completely alien to you, your natural instinct is to want to, you know, be protective or you want to take as least risk as possible that you can do because it is something new. But I think Liverpool played with a lot of bravery. And yeah, you know, we're speaking about um, the start of the game. I think for the first 29 minutes, it was a test of patience. And Klopp referenced prior to the game and he referenced patience again afterwards because I think in these sort of games that is the platform you have to build on because if you can do that if you can just stay patient you've got such potency and attack that very very few if any teams in the league are capable of properly dealing with Um, and I think they did that to to perfection yesterday it was interesting because you know at the start of the game you see a few players getting frustrated with with each other, you know, Henderson telling Coutinho to make the run, Coutinho saying, give it to my feet and then I'll, you know, take it on and then we can do something. Robertson also getting told to to go on the overlap when he was. So, you know, Br- Brighton's original plan worked a little bit because while they were trying to be patient, they were getting frustrated a little bit and, Dan's right, they did have the best chance of the game. But I think once Liverpool score, it just puts a completely different complexion on things because then they are they know, okay, we've done the hard part now and now we can start to do what we want to do. When we were doing the preview shows, Gareth, of the game, that we did a, a phone call with, with a Brighton fan. On, his biggest concern was that if Liverpool score first... That they would go and score again quickly, and he was he was proved mm. absolutely right. It's almost like Brighton need a full reset after after a goal, a little bit like that. Once they've they've got to think about well, what do we do now? Like because they are as we as you referenced, they don't concede a lot of goals historically. So it, they're they're a side that sort of wants if they're going to try and win win a game or or even just keep it. They'd, they'd rather keep it nil nil than have to go. One nil and chase and try and get the goal back. What I'm saying is that they don't they don't like being in the losing position. I know mm. no one does, but that's especially hard for them. Um, and for us to go and go bang bang, you know that that was it. That was exactly what Liverpool needed in this game, I think. And to get it when we got it as well, as you said, Liverpool concede sort of the best chance in that first half an hour, and then to to go and basically put the game to bed because I, I, you know what we've, we've just been doing a, a preview show for Spartak for tour player and you go 
it, Spartak are probably in a similar boat. If Liverpool score first, you, you'd imagine Liverpool are going to score in every game now. So we're not conceding many chances from open play. You know, the, the weaknesses we did have in general play don't seem to be raising the red as much as they are. So if Liverpool go ahead now, and I, I know there's Seville in the background, but I, I'm starting to see that as an anomaly for the for this Liverpool side. So if Liverpool go ahead, I think it's really hard for other sides. So if you go ahead and then put yourself into a 2-0 lead, for a side like Brighton, I think it's near impossible to, to, to change their game that much yeah. to get back into it. I mean, I think what's interesting is that, you know, Liverpool obviously take the lead from a corner um, and, and it's interesting that in the in the post-match comments, one of their defenders, can't remember his name now, he, um, but, he, but he was saying, you know, we didn't have Liverpool down as being a threat from from set pieces, mm. it wasn't something we'd worked on. Wasn't something we'd thought about. And even when you heard, you know, you heard their manager talk, it's not that a bit though, isn't it? It is a bit because you know we, there's actually you know there's evidence there that we're, we're quite good at two, them. Yeah, two at Seville, two against West Seville, Ham. West Ham, Huddersfield as well. Yeah. There's, there's there's quite a few goals in recent times from corners, but it wasn't something they'd obviously picked up on. Um, and and Emery Emery gives us the lead, but. Um, that's a, that's obviously a good habit and and a good habit to get into, but but also interesting because as I say, their manager was talking about you know them being this attack and force and being not dissimilar to Man City and in, in, in the way they can tear a side apart, and obviously that's what they do with the goal that follows. I mean, what what I thought was that interesting, Mel, as well is is two of the goals that we scored there, you know, counter attacking goals, superb, moving the ball really quick between the front three. The, that's the stuff that we saw when we were fortunate enough to see them training in Hong Kong, isn't it? You know, yeah. they, you lit like it was it was carbon copy stuff of what we saw exactly. that day, and also you saw the likes of Klopp and Linders stopping them, stopping the play when they, when they were training in that session and saying that that's not quick enough. Yeah. You know, you're not moving the ball quick enough. It needs to be less passes. It needs to be getting to his foot, and then he needs to be getting a shot off, it, it, like like that, like quick as quick as you can. And that's obviously something they drilled into them, and we saw it twice. You know, executed perfectly. Yeah, apart from the the bravery, um, that was the other thing I really enjoyed. The fact that stuff from training and from the technical meetings that they have are you know coming to fruition, and it's been it's not just in this game. It's been uh, a continuation and I think it's only going to progress um, like you say those counter-attacking goals we saw the playbook for them in pre-season the set-piece goals um, before Emre scores his header Firmino has a great chance similar and Emre knows by the way where that ball is coming he knows where to start he's run from he anticipates it so well Coutinho knows where he's putting the ball that's all stuff that's happening on the training pitch. The free kick, um, again, is something that the analysts pick up, that their wall jumps pretty early, so wait for the wall to jump. Then Mil- he's obviously, Milner reminded them as well, didn't yeah, he? Yeah, and then you've got, obviously got to have the technique to do it, as Klopp said. Um, and I think it was one of my favourite uh, Mohamed Salah performances because he doesn't score, but both those counter-attacking goals are created from the sheer fear he strikes into defenders because when he's got the ball and he's running they are all for the for the first counter-attacking goal there's five of them that he's taken out of the game either directly as in they're tracking his run or indirectly where they're in sort of a position where they should be but they're all turning and they're focused on him so he allows Coutinho and Firmino to have space and time 
to put the, for me uh, Coutinho to put the ball in, Firmino to finish, and by the time he releases possession, it's too late for them. They're all out of pos- they're they're all so fixated on him and what he, how he could hurt them that they've let the other two free and. You know, for the second one as well, the second counter-attacking goal, you see the exact same thing. He's taken two, three players out of the game, and then he plays the perfect pass to Firmino. Uh, and it was just, it was a joy to watch Liverpool be so effective in in different ways. I mean, li- li- have we reached a point yet, Dan, do you think, where we can start to trust this Liverpool side? Because we talked about this before, about, and it's not very long ago that we were talking about it, about how, how almost you don't know what, this Liverpool side is and how it wins football matches and what that looks like. And it was so sort of in and out in terms of performances, in terms of results, in terms of lots of sort of frustrating draws, which remain a frustration when you look back at what we've done so far this season. But all of a sudden now, as I said right at the top of the show, 16 points from 18. I think it's 19 goals as well in that period. You know, when you look at the attacking figures as well now, you know, Salah obviously is the talk of everyone. 17 goals, four assists. Firmino's got 11 now, uh, which is only one shy of what he managed for the whole of last season, and five assists. Coutinho, six goals, six assists, and, and Sadio Mane, who didn't even get a sniff at the weekend, five goals and five assists. So all of a sudden now, can can you trust them? We've stopped talking about defenders now, haven't we? And we're talking about attackers in general terms, it, about you know the wider world's conversation mm. about Liverpool now isn't about Lovren, Clavin, Matip, the keeper... Everyone's talking about the you know the attack being phenomenal. They are, but it's not necessarily always going to be like that, is it? Um, in a few games' time, in one game's time, or any one of them could could drop a bollock again and they're back to talking about the defence. We could concede from a corner and that narrative comes back up. I don't think I completely trust them now. I know it's been a really good run um, and I think we've always known that we've got a selection of excellent forwards and, and it's good that they're all kind of working in tandem now and, and, and getting those numbers up, like you said. But... The run that we've been on lately, we haven't really played anyone that's that good, have we? We've played Chelsea and Sevilla, who are teams that Liverpool are about the same level as every other team. I would ostensibly expect Liverpool to beat. Although um, Liverpool but, have struggled to do exactly mm. that, so this We're is doing massive the progress. In reverse, because we? last season yeah. we had an excellent record against mm. top teams. This season, not so much. Um, we've had a better record against teams lower down the table this time, certainly. Um, but I wouldn't say that. I've got a lot more trust in them because of that. Um, it was only a few weeks ago we were talking about them throwing leads away quite, quite regularly. Um, and we, we were saying how it must be very frustrating to be one of those forwards because you're putting the goals in, you're playing brilliant football, you're scoring goals on the counter or scoring brilliant individual ones by yourself. But then someone who either isn't good enough or is bang out of form at the back is, is costing you week in, week out. Um, obviously, that's not the case at the minute and it's it's a massive positive that it isn't at the minute and they're an awful lot better than what they were a while ago. But I don't think I'll completely trust them until they've gone through an extended period where they've played various different kinds of team. Um, and Not necessarily won every game, but just show the level of consistency because I think the... One of the most frustrating things about being a Liverpool fan, not this week specifically, obviously, but generally over the past probably few years, going from Rodgers' time into this one, is that they're very capable of going on a run of of six, eight weeks or whatever, where you think they're absolutely scintillating and the best team in the country and opposition managers are saying that it's the best attack they've come across and stuff like that. Um, and then they'll have three or four weeks where you watch them and it's 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 turgid and the defending's bad again. Um, 
so I think until there's an extended period where there's a, a level of the resolute, basically the resolute, then I'd be fine with that. And I think I think Saturday was a big difference because when that Brighton goal goes in, um, which I'm sure we'll talk about, but never should have been a penalty in the first place. Um, so it was not their fault. But once it goes in, after the severe game, after the Watford game where they've given leads away, it, it, it wouldn't have been completely unforeseen for them to all panic a little bit and think, oh, we've let them back in the game here. They've got, they've got a bit of a head of steam and start panicking, but they didn't. They remained completely in control of the game. They slowed it down, I thought, quite a bit after the restart. Um, whereas in the first half, they'd used the kind of speed of the game to their own advantage, especially when we kicked back off and scored again. Um, they showed quite a bit of nous to go, let's just get a foot <laughs> on the ball here for a little bit. Let's make sure the crowd doesn't get up. Let's make sure they don't start, you know, pumping the ball into Glenn Murray in the box like they had done a couple of times. Um, so I thought, I thought the game management, both from both from the bench, from the staff, and the players on the pitch, was an awful lot better. So that's a really positive sign. Are you are you, are you feeling more savviness around Liverpool Definitely. in terms of the players and the manager? I mean, you know, everyone's talking a lot about about the changes now. You know, six on Saturday. I think the the previous two was five and five before that as well. You know, lots of people are getting minutes in the legs rather than you know a, a core of eleven or twelve or whatever. But also as well, you know, the squad does look deeper, doesn't it? I mean, you know. This time, or not far off this time last year, you know, you were looking at the bench a lot, and and, and the options were Woodburn and Alexander Arnold, mm. and you were like, and we were having debates about whether you throw them lads in, you know, and when they can play and when to they change can't play. games as well. Yeah, yeah that... and then, but all of a sudden now you're looking at benches and you're going, well, that that looks like a bench of a, of a top club, but also you know on the savviness thing, it's not just the changes. I mean, what what Dan's talking about there, I I, I think. There, there has been a, a, a stylistic change as well, hasn't there? It's, it's not all guns blazing for 90 minutes. It's all guns blazing in spells. And it's quite sometimes it can be quite conservative for spells as well. Yeah, and that's that's where I'm, I'm taking the most positives, I think, is is that we, we have to, in the league, we've stuck 16 from 18. But I don't think we're conceding many chances. Um, the... The what the West Ham goal, for example, is a great is just a great goal. The William goal, you know, uh, fluke. It's just uh, yeah, I didn't want to call it a fluke, but it is a it is a fluke, I suppose, from a from a good player. Um, you know, the Brighton goal at the weekend was was never a penalty. So, you know, I'm I can be as knee jerk as, as the rest uh, as the best of them, you know. But um, I I think at the moment the, there's got to be a little bit of credit given to this Liverpool side, to be honest. Um, they're scoring lots of goals. It seems to be on a quite a solid foundation. They're not giving chances away. Um, when, when as Dan references, I suppose, is, is when they do score, there's no panic. It, it seems, but it seems it a bit their, let off. It, it got their crowd up, It's less it? obvious, Gareth, if you know what I mean. I think we're, we're less obvious in the fact that where as Liverpool did concede a goal, they did panic. Um, we're less obvious also in the setup, so we're not always 4-3-3. You know, it's, it can be this sort of diamondy midfield now. Um, you know, you go through. No one expects Klopp to do what he does at the weekend. I think all this little bit Liverpool being a bit less predictable is a good thing. Um, and the fact that you can't pretty much just say, "Well, Liverpool's eleven is this," because we're trying now trying to put four into three quite regularly. You know, and 
that's that's a nice change. No, as but much as I want to well, see, sorry, go on. No, all I was going to say was if you if we do dial back to when when Liverpool have the horrible period, if you like the January was at one win in nine or something like that. Um, when the season goes off the rails, another thing that people said at that time was, um, rightly or wrongly, you know, oh, Klopp's being found out here. You know, everyone's worked Liverpool out here, and, and yet, what because he's doing what he's doing now, and because we've got the the, the the greater depth to the squad, well, it's harder to find Liverpool out now, isn't mm. it? Because you don't know what they're going to do. The squad depth's helping them definitely. I think I think that that month or that that six week period, whatever it was, around the time where. The African Cup of Nations stuff, stuff with Matip and, and Mane um, and Coutinho injury. Yeah, the Coutinho injury, but Lallana. just just his learning. I think this whole season has been what him practicing what he's learned from his from his previous time in the Premier League. You know, I think he's he's learned he's learned a lot in firstly how to manage um, rotation a bit better. As I've said on our. I'm not under the light show, so I'm repeating myself a little bit to those who kinda of listen to that as well. But he's he, he's he's been a manager that's that's managed with the winter break and Copey says this on the review last last week and he's absolutely right that he's been able to probably run lads solidly for seventeen games in the league, go and have four four weeks off, five weeks off, whatever it may be, and then go and do it again. Well you can't do that here and I think this is why he was, you know. I think he, you know he wants Thomas Lamar and Van Dijk on, on the last day, and no one's really going the other way. So he wanted an, an even bigger mm. squad than the one he's got. And you know, maybe if you look at it now with all with the problems that we had at the weekend with centre half, maybe he's he's a little bit justified. We've seen Clavin quite a bit this year. I think he's maybe preferred that to be whoever it was he dropped between Lovren and Matip to play alongside Van Dijk. You know, imagine. Imagine the attacking options of this side with Thomas Lamar plus the additional use of Adam Lallana as well, which we haven't got to see. So I think that's what he's trying to do. He's, he's almost trying to just not burn out because Liverpool did quite obviously burn out last, last year. But what I'm pleased that the manager's done is not looked at these array of riches and almost have to feel like he has to apologise or let one of them go out the side door just because he can't get him enough games. He's actually got a squad there that can compete. That's the envy, certainly offensively, of most of the Premier League. Um, yeah, and long, long may it continue going out to it. Go, if you, you can do Lamar in January, go and do it. Why not? Because if you tell you what, if you're competitive and you're winning things and you're putting runs together like this, then most of the time people will be happy anyway. I mean, an interesting one from Klopp, uh, Mel, after the game when he says, you know, he was talking about through the game and, and what he thought of it, and he was obviously absolutely delighted about those counter goals, which we, which we mentioned. You could see that, you know, that he was proud of them, if you like. But then he also he also did say uh, to the media, I don't think I don't think it, talking about the game generally, I don't think it was world class or anything like that. It was just doing the job, uh, which when you've be, when you've won five one. Uh, is is almost quite the statement, but I, I can kind of see where he's coming from. In that, it wasn't absolute champagne stuff, was it? It was it was good. We beat we beat Brighton. It was five one. Everyone's happy, but there were still some little moments where there, 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 there are alternative realities that existed. If you like, if, if Brighton takes certain chances yeah. and things like that, but also as well that you know the focus is always going to be on the attack and lads after a five one. But I think I just wanted to talk a little bit about some good moments for for the lads at the back. Uh, Mignolet, obviously a very good save, which then leads to Liverpool getting on the attack and scoring that that particular goal. Uh, maybe not so good on some of his kicking, which uh, the manager 
referenced as well. Although maybe, you know, to give to defend them a little bit, maybe he was given a bit too much too kicking much, yeah. at one point. Um, also, Trent's uh, fantastic block, which is basically a, a goal-saving block. A fantastic yeah, Ronaldo as well. Vinaldum as well. Um, and, in, and just in general, you know, I thought Robertson did okay, but maybe not so well that, you know, all the people who've been crying for him to be in the side w- w- were justified, if you like. I mean, to me, Albi comes straight back in again um, <laughs> when he's ready to go. Uh, Emre does well. Uh, seems to like the game, watching it in front of him, being deeper. And uh, and a show for Lovren as well, I guess, because, you know, um, <laughs> his head was absolutely gone at Spurs, you know, and... I think that suits him though, not being not having the, anyone else to rely on, like just being, being the all deepest action. Fella, yeah. No what no what you don't have to worry about what's going on. Sorry to come across you, Mel. Is is not having to worry about the guy on the right or sort of staying in line with him or something. It was just like that ball breaches that line of four in front of you, you there. Go and sort you it. go and sort it out. Yeah. I think I thought that was perfect for him. Klopp also managed him really well. I think in the aftermath of that because that's. That's potentially like Liverpool career ending, isn't it? When he hooks him on thirty minutes or whatever it yeah. is at Wembley, um, and then he was he took him out for a while. He had a niggle, didn't he? I think which meant he didn't play for a bit. But then he brought him on with like a few minutes left of that West Ham game yeah. when we were coasting, and it was like, yeah, go on and just get some minutes, and you'll be all right. Um, and he's kind of brought him back in slowly. Clavan played a few games, um, so I think he's done really, really well in terms of like reintegrating him and making him feel confident in his own abilities again. It's the thing, isn't it, Mel? That you know you can't, you know, you know. We- People, fans in particular, and you know, certain writers or whatever, I guess, when they're going to write a piece about Liverpool, they'll talk about things like you know, oh, the Klopp revolution and all this sort of stuff. But you, you can't, you, you know, you can't have that much of a take. You can't fix everything. Is yeah, what I mean. Yeah. So you know, he's got to get performances out of people like Lovren, Mignolet, you know, Moreno. Perhaps you know, you can argue the counter argument is that maybe he's, he's shown too much faith in some of those players, but you know, the ones I've mentioned. But at the same time, you just can't change everything in a football club in like one or two transfer windows. No. You've got you've got to manage the resources you've got, and he's getting stuff out of some of these lads. And defensively, they do look they do look better now, don't they? Yeah, he always talks about the journey and the process of development, and he says that too many people focus on the end, you know, the destination where you have to go. But he said he's found throughout his managerial career that the process of getting there and especially times when it's difficult and you have to pull yourself out of the difficult spell and strike back is what he most enjoys and he had it at Mines. you know he spoke about the whatsapp group that he still has with with players from Mines, where every now and you know every so often they'll talk about oh remember this period when all this happened and this is what we had to do to come out of it and He's, you know, the fact that you can create that and have that together is what he loves. And, you know, afterwards he was, he was right. That wasn't, it wasn't what you think um, typically of a, of a 5-1 performance because there were really testing periods, both at the start of the game when they had to be patient, when they were 3-1 up and uh, Brighton wanted more possession, which suited Liverpool because then they could counter, but they weren't, you know, making the most of their counter opportunities then. And there was a little bit of pressure because of um, the leads that they that they had surrendered in recent games. But they deal with all that. And I think it's a continued learning, not just... I don't think it's Klopp only looking at last season and applying, you know, better management skills to this season, but also game by game, you know, Chelsea, he doesn't make subs early enough. And then at Stoke, 
he makes the subs that win the game, they give you balance, and then Salah comes on, and immediately the pressure is reversed because he gives Salah enough time as well to do that. So I think it's game to game, and players as well are are picking it up as well. It it helps when obviously you know Moreno's had a really shocking game, Lovren's had a really shock, shocking game, and we talk about his trust in players. But if he doesn't show either of them the support he does immediately afterwards, you know we're probably not looking at this phase that we're now. Um, so glowingly and I mean since Spurs what's it been um eight games in all competitions six wins 25 goals scored six conceded you know and three of them are in that ridiculous second half um against Sevilla so I think it's there's a lot to be positive about because when Liverpool went through their their (sighs) mediocre period in the season he Klopp said last year we had this in January, February. This year it's happening earlier and every team will go through this phase. And now in the last eight games, Liverpool have scored six goals, what, like seven times or something? Sit, uh, I mean, sorry, three or more goals, six or seven times. City, who have been absolutely flying or, you know, started the season on fire, haven't, the goals have reduced a little bit and, they're finding now they're that they're yeah they're grinding out the wings and it's it's a cycle of a season that you can't have it all your way yeah. all of the time you're going to be tested and how you deal with that is is genuinely what you made of and I think we've referenced it already Liverpool went away from home to opponents that are are quite difficult to break down which in the past has been a really big issue for them. One five one without needing to bring on Sadio Mane, who last season, you know, you looked <laughs> at Liverpool lineups without Sadio Mane, and and you were genuinely concerned. Mm. Um, and I think the fact that all of them are playing so well and so cohesively, um, the f- it it makes the rotation less of an issue because you could you could slot Sadio Mane straight back in, and you're laughing, you know. Yeah, I mean, but, it's good almost. I think the way that way the you know the narrative keeps shifting around, really, because you know the other day we're talking about Salah, uh, Mane. You know, we've hardly talked about him, and yet some stats still exist that it was something like if he's played in more than if, any game that he's played more than forty odd minutes in for Liverpool, I think they've only ever lost two or something like that. You know, mm-hmm. which shows you how sort of keys being to Liverpool and yeah right now he's not an absolute match winner although you know he's brilliant at Stoke he's definitely it, got something going on in the background I think Mane in terms of uh, man- managing the injury or something mm. he, he, like I, I was watching him against Stoke a bit and he, he doesn't seem to have like, like, he seems so jet healed last year where he just can't can't let himself go or he's or he's not letting himself Go great on Salah's goal, though. Oh, yeah, he is. But what I'm saying is he was, he was choosing not, his runs a bit more. Sorry, Melville. Imagine not being fully in rhythm because he's had that stop start and still getting a goal, getting assist, hitting the it's, post. Yeah, like, yeah. ridiculous. I, 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 I believe he's our best player, Mane. Um, I'm a great, a great believer that he is the... the, the the head, head, Quite even head and shoulders, our best player. I think he's the most important player we've got as well. But not having to rely on them to positive. Just picking up on what Mel, Mel said there as well, Gareth. Is you talk about City and the sort of bigger picture. I think 
Guardiola is is now picking. It's almost doing the opposite of what Klopp's doing in terms of the wider rotation thing. So I was gobsmacked the side he puts out yesterday against West Ham. I, I was so surprised he went so strong. And don't get me wrong, it, it turns out to be a, a bit of a contest. But West Ham were twenty five to one to win that game yesterday. I've never seen a Premier League game with, with stats like that. And the draw was something like fifteen to one. He's out the lead. <laughs> but but there's only really one one player. There's only Fernandinho out of what I would say is not a full strength Manchester City side there yesterday and then we're talking about Klopp and he's almost rotating from day one you know this year so I wonder I wonder where Mel's talking about that that Liverpool had their blip earlier in the season whether Guardiola's trying to build up him almost like looking at what Chelsea did last year such a lead that they can almost limp Mm. to the title that you know Man United maybe go well they're 13 points ahead Let's try and do a bit in the Champions League here. It might appease someone. We're pretty much set for top four. Whereas I wonder if Liverpool can keep this league form going. You know, we're going into the Champions League break now, aren't we? After this this game in the week. Um, what, what is it? Two months off Champions League football now. It comes back in February. I wonder if this is the bit where Klopp is actually going. Bigger picture is here. This is where we get back in the title race. Or... We at least we at least get in the conversation with Man United, or we can maybe put Tottenham to bed or Arsenal to bed. Who's you know Tottenham are having a bit of a blip at the moment? Is that going to be slightly more prolonged than you, than you'd expect? You think Tottenham are a good side, but there's no reason this can't go on for another three or four games. So I wonder whether he's he's put everything to sort of pick his battles where everyone's maybe at the weakest. Where you know the sides like West West Brom and Brighton who aren't used to playing three in a week that are going to be forced to do that. Where Liverpool can actually go. Almost a, almost a full strength in most of these games and pick up a load of points and have our good run where our poor run was last time. And I think he's calculated this a little bit. He is. I know a lot of people see him as quite a cool manager, Klopp, but I actually think he's a bit like a mad scientist as well. You know, and I, think, I wonder whether he's sort of calculated his run for this period now. He's learned his lesson and what he wants to do is take December and January on where everyone else may maybe start to falter what I, what I was trying to get to before is that you know as we're going into this period it, is that there are so many different players though that can win a game for you in our team mm-hmm. so you know on Saturday Coutinho gets all the headlines um, you know he scores a great free kick and then he forces that fifth as well but also you know going on some fantastic runs looking like you know his old self um, and looking like a player that can win matches for you and obviously he's last season's top scorer as well which seems to have now gone a bit amiss but but at the same time there's him there's Salah and then and then what's it you know when you when you get off the pitch when the game's finished actually the manager doesn't talk that much about Coutinho he's raving about Firmino and his work rate and he calls him he calls him a little annoying um, but you know what he means by that is just being a pest towards their defenders he was going on about you know the way he just nicks a toe in here and their defence from the front you know a bit a bit rushy style if you like for their alder asses like myself um, but do you think he remains sort of underrated Dan because, um, for me you know because he's clearly rated by the manager probably, probably to the extent of maybe he's one of it you know one of if not his favourite player in the, t- in the team because if you listen to the way they talk about each other for me you know about Klopp Clop about Firmino it's both both sides it's very gushing I mean Firmino was doing an interview the other day saying how much Klopp's helped him how close he is to him how he was glad that he knew what type of player he was and all that do you think he's appreciated though by us 
as fans and by the, the the wider football world. I mean, you know, as I said before, his stats for the season are stacking up. Eleven goals and five assists is, is decent. Klopp's spoken a few times, hasn't he, about how when he was at Dortmund, he always wanted to bring them. Um, and I know that managers often say that about players and you think, I'm not too sure that that's true. Um, but I think it really is with him because, as you say, he is so kind of not over the top, but so enthusiastic in his praise of him so often that it's almost it's almost as though he feels like he he has to make people aware of, of how good he is. It, like it's his own personal mission. Um, certainly, I think people must hate playing against him. Defenders, I think... Yeah, they'll they'll hate playing against you know Rooney when he was at his peak, Aguero when he's at his peak, and stuff like that. And um, for me, no, I don't think Ever is going to get the kind of goal scoring return that those players would. But the stuff that he does off the ball and the stuff that he does to bring the wide players in so much, he must be really, really frustrating because you've constantly got to have your eye on him. Um, he's he's really strong for his size as well, and he. I know there's like the stereotype of running yards in your head and all that sort of stuff, but I think his intelligence and his positioning means that he does get an advantage where maybe. His, his, his pace isn't bad, certainly, but he's not he's not a lightning player like the two other sides of him. But his positional awareness, um, his awareness of the way defenders are, does help him get that little bit of an advantage in the first place, I think. I don't believe that fans of other clubs are really aware of, or, or they don't agree, I don't think, with the Liverpool supporters' perception that he's a great player. But I think that's just because he's not a match-of-the-day type player. I don't think mm. you'd watch highlights of that match at the weekend and pick him out of the front three or the, or the entire Liverpool mm. eleven go, he was brilliant, even though obviously um, he, he, he scores and, that and he's involved in everything. I think you'd look more at, you know, Coutinho scores a, a spectacular free kick that's really clever. Um, you'd probably look at Salah's pace and the run that he's on. You, you'd look at him more if you were a fan of whoever else. Um, so I think as long as he has these kinds of... Because his goals tend to come in bursts, or, or, or that's what it seems like anyway. They stack up over the course of a season, but I think if you go back and look through it, there'll maybe there'll always be you know a month where he hasn't got one, and then a month where he maybe gets four or five in a row. Um, and that's not to say that he's not doing good things in the month where he scored them, because he's probably, even if he's not getting assists as well, he's probably allowing everyone around him to score quite a few more. Um, so... At, I see your point about like his individual goal scoring stats and stuff, and they are really good and they're a big improvement. But in terms of measuring Firmino's success, I don't really think that's precisely what I'd go off come May, come June when we're finishing all the competitions. Um, I think he's more kind of a he's more of a subjective player than that. He's not he's not someone who you'd go. All right, he's our out and out centre forwards. He's playing most games. How many did he score in all competitions? Because his role in the team is it just more isn't that. Yeah. It's, yeah. A, it's it's a lot more than that. Um, and I, I think you can tell as well. And it was certainly the case last season. It's a little bit less now, but you can really tell when he's missing because we play in a very very different way. So Stoke was really interesting because no one would look at Dom Solanke and think he could play like Firmino. But he was basically told to play an awful lot like Firmino in that Stoke game of thought in that he was coming deep for the ball sometimes. He was getting involved with midfield players and players wide from him. Um, so I think with his last season, you, you had like a Rigi who couldn't do that, just simply couldn't do it. He might have been more of a goal scorer than Solanke or whatever, but he simply couldn't play like Firmino could. And whenever we were playing Divock Rigi up front instead of Firmino, you were very aware that there was like a big sort of tactical change. Everyone around him had to adjust. So I think Klopp's kind of settled now that he wants Firmino in that position and if he hasn't got Firmino, he wants someone who can play as much like him as possible. And that's the most glowing endorsement that you could give him. I think if there was like a magic card and there was a player you could play in every single game if you if you're Klopp, I think he's the one he picks. Mm. I, honest, I honestly think he does. And but he's, I, he's dropped him at Chelsea though. Yeah, but... Uh, 
he was sort of forced into that though, wasn't he? Because he played him so yeah. much in it, and he'd mm-hmm. gone and played for Brazil, and it was like he picked that one to go. Maybe we can do without him there. And we spoke about it on the show the other week. Awesome. We maybe disagree with that, but once he'd put himself in that position, I don't think he'd have wanted to leave for me now out of that match. I think it's literally just he thought it's going to have to be now. Also, I think Chelsea may be a side that are maybe less panicked by what he does and what he off the ball. You know, Christensen just oozes class. He's he's not going to make it an individual error. I, I don't imagine he's not going to make many in his career by the look of him. I just think I wonder if that game whether he thought. It might be a game of few chances. These give, these give very little away. And that sometimes with a lad like Sturridge, if one chance falls in the box, it could be a goal. So that was that was what I was thinking on that. Also maybe getting into Sturridge's head a little bit. Like when he when when, when January comes, well look at the opportunities I've given you. Chelsea are one of them. Wouldn't be surprised in the what in the bigger picture whether he even plays at the weekend. So may maybe that. Um but on, from a Firmino thing, for you to say that he's already, he's already got what he got last year, did you say? Off. What he's one off. And I, I would say he's gone more under the radar this year, obviously. What, what Mo Salah's doing in, in goal scoring terms is phenomenal. But I wouldn't have, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have guessed that's how many goals he had this year. But as Dan says, I suppose it's a, he does get his goals in little do you, bursts. Do you think he, he's improved? Because they, I'm, I hear less, and it's only what I'm hearing, but I hear less people saying he can't finish. People, A lot of people saying he can't finish not so long ago. Yeah, I think it's um, the reason Klopp advocates for Firmino so much is one obviously genuinely believes what he's saying about him. And if you speak to anyone in the squad and if they are to pick who their favourite player is, oh, you'll hear all of them. There's a difference between who's the most technical or who's the most skilled player you've seen and who's your favourite player or who do you think is the most important in the squad. And Firmino is the answer to the second question. Coutinho is the, the answer generally to the first about who's the most technical. Um, but I think the other reason he feels he needs to advocate for him so much is because there is this old school mentality that and especially if you're watching any of the review shows and, and most of the ex-players um, say this a lot, but you have to have a traditional number nine. You have to have a Harry Kane in your team, sort of. And Liverpool don't want to play that way because when you are so um, dependent on one individual, and we've had this with, with Daniel Sturridge post Luis Suarez, where I would we were geared to play a certain way. And when you took Sturridge out of that squad through injury, Liverpool suffered because the other players that they bought were sort of traditional number nines who didn't really fit and didn't have the pace, didn't have the work ethic to match with, um, you know, with the other attacking players. And what Firmino does at the moment is he's a very good player individually, but he makes, he enables all the, the strengths and skills sets around him to shine more when he's on the pitch because he does do that much off the ball. Um, I think he's been phenomenal. And, I, you know, Klopp said the other day when I think he gets annoyed when one player is picked out too much. That happened uh, last season a bit with Coutinho where he was always the topic of conversations after the game. It's happened now with Salah where, you know, he even tries to divert the question away and, you know, point to other people who have done well. And And it is because it's a collective effort. I mean, at Stoke, Mane was also so pivotal, but Salah comes off the bench and he gets those two goals and everything's about him. 
um, Coutinho scores a free kick and stuff, so it's forgotten how much Firmino did in the in the build up to the goal. Coutinho's involved in all five goals, mm. by the way, uh, on Saturday. But I think he does like this communal sense of things, which is why when Salah scored, the two he references Mane. When Coutinho does something, he references Firmino. He, he does like to give everyone credit. Um, you know, the other day he gave Albi credit as well. Uh, what game was that? The Chelsea game um, after after his Bumps performance, and after and, yeah. So I, I don't think it's. I think Firmino is one of his favorites, but I don't think he does it based on that. I I think he does it to share some education that it doesn't always have to be the typical traditional way you think it has to be. And and Liverpool, because they've got so many threats, they're so hard to defend against. Because like Brighton's mistake was they were so focused on Salah when he was running at them that they allowed Coutinho and Firmino to cause damage as well. Yeah, yeah I think I think he's such a f- philosophical manager that he, he needs the sort of team think thing to work because that's what he's, he, he needs to sort of preach in the press conferences what he's practising behind, behind the scenes. So I, I, I get what Mel's saying in terms of if you if you say well, Mo Salah was good, yeah, but did you see Coutinho? He, he, that's that's the way he sort of, he sort of works. But I, th- I think I think the truth is, you know, if if this is the, the this is next July or something like that, and you, you're you're off you're offering um, Klopp the opportunity to keep Coutinho for the next five years, or then you flip it on the side, but you know you've got to lose Roberto because because of that. I honestly don't think he goes for it. As good a player as I think Coutinho is, I think I think there's a certain level of manager who appreciates that type of player and I think it's almost like a a high level manager where you go, why 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 isn't he playing with a Harry Kane? You know, you can I almost think like a, a Harry Kane type number nine out is almost now for the, the more obvious manager, the small slightly more basic manager, you know, an Allardyce and I wanted to throw that dig in there. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah but I honestly do feel like, like you see, you see Rafa finds something in their case that not everyone can, that doesn't watch Liverpool every week or, or even those who do watch Liverpool every week don't really appreciate. And I think if you, these quite intense tactical managers will go, yeah, but he does, he does all of the bit that a number nine should do. But I, I also think he, he does all of these other things that not everyone can attribute in terms of stats or expected goals or whatever this whatever nonsense people now now look at. I just think it's 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 one of all the best for saying that uh, well, I'm not getting about a million responses on oh, Twitter. Fuck them. <laughs> Come at me, Paul Senior one. Um, <laughs> but I, I um, yeah, I, I'm I'm all for it. You know, I think he's he's got he's, he's found these things he likes in certain players, and it's it. You know, you, you see these these pundits on on, on the telly, and they sort of when when things are bad, they question these players because they haven't watched them enough, quite frankly. And I think he's the type of player that epitomises why Jurgen Klopp is so good. Well, on Jurgen Klopp, just to finish on this, I want to touch on some nonsense here because I like I like getting stuck into nonsense. Uh, this is and, brick of the week, and so this is uh, <laughs> yeah, this is look of this brick now. Uh, <laughs> Now, this is uh, the non-handshake with Chris uh, Hewton that's caused some fuss. Uh, Ian Wright has a pop first off 
on um, on match of the day on Saturday. Uh, basically, just saying, you know, Klopp's getting up people's noses with the way he acts on the touchline and blah blah blah. That's now been taken on here by not only a, a couple of journalists who've seen doing it, uh, but also uh, the one, the only, the wonderful uh, Garth Crooks. Now I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna read this out for you because I'm just I just think it's amazing. And uh, you know, go where you want after the finish reading it out. But get on this right. So he says. Losing 5-1 is no fun, especially when Reds manager Jürgen Klopp is fist-pumping every goal and celebrating with his staff like it's the final of the Champions League. I understand the importance of winning, but this was Brighton. What I do take exception to is any manager being kept waiting to shake hands once a game is finished, while his opposite number finishes hugging and kissing his players and staff in celebration of their victory. I sense this was exactly what happened after the final whistle and why Chris Hutton tore a strip off Klopp immediately after the game, and quite rightly. What is happening to the traditions of this great game? Has winning and money destroyed everything we hold dear? The convention is we shake hands immediately after a game because it brings closure to the occasion and it starts with the managers. The game's conventions are bigger than any manager or player and if either can't be bothered to perform the duty, I suggest they find another profession that they can afford that can afford their bad manners. All right, well, Meet up with how you got into character there. That was <laughs> Oscar worthy. Well, why is Garth Crooks still a pundit on football? I think he's Just, great value, you know. I, I think he's for bullshit like this. <laughs> what, what? If you take him seriously, then yeah, he's he is he's a parody, isn't he? I mean, yeah. why why the BBC are employing and paying him money to, to give his opinion on football? I don't. Yeah, what's Jurgen Klopp meant to do? Like it's the Champions what, League yeah, I mean, final. Forget, I mean, yeah, yeah, I mean, forgetting Garth though, because it's not just him. Like I say, it's Ian Wright and a couple of others as well. He's had the pot. And Chris Hutton seemingly did have a cob on. So I'd want I, him to. What if I'm is, a Brighton fan, I wouldn't I'd want him to have a cob what, on. Yeah, A, what is the problem and B why we asked and, and C why would Klopp be asked? I mean, all of this idea that there's some kind of unwritten rule and convention that you can't celebrate goals. Well, don't we enjoy that? Don't exactly, we don't we like our seeing our manager? Same you know, the game in it. You know, is that oh, let, let's stop enjoying winning and scoring goals. But Fuck that's off. that's the thing. People complain all the time <laughs> that there's no passion in the game. Um, mm. But then that, we'll say yeah. the handshakes and are more why, important. That's why the likes of him were probably saying when we were appointing Klopp, this is exactly what this league needs. You know, a, a, a new a new manager that's going to bring passion to the touchline and all that. And then they get they get it and they become fucking conservative, Mister English gentleman again. You know, I also Fuck off. I also completely the. <laughs> detest anyone who says things like it's only Brighton because if Liverpool had lost that game it would have been the biggest travesty it wouldn't have been oh, it's only Brighton it would have been the and biggest I, travesty if I'm Brighton I'm more offended by that than I am as a Liverpool fan it's only Brighton well we, we got all into that game we're ninth in the Premier League we are punching above expectations despite all the things that have gone in the past with the ground and stuff like that we're this is only Brighton that's achieving it's, it's you know, so ridiculous I'd be so pissed off as a Brighton fan yeah. going you know what? You're expected to beat Brighton five one. No one who's beat Brighton five one. There's actually serious concerns in the game. You know, like things had gone at academy level and and like the imbalance in terms of gender e- equality in the game and and um, not enough representation of um, you know not enough diversity. I should say. And then you take something like that, like passion of celebration of goals, and you make it an issue as though it's killing the game. It's it's utterly bewildering that somebody can think that it's that important. 
But it's when you when you have all this other stuff going on, it's literally his personality, though, isn't it, Dan? I mean, isn't it literally what the fella's like? You know what I mean? But like when <laughs> when we're watching him like run up and down at, at Dortmund and Manza and jumping into crowds and you know beating his chest and all that, everyone loved him then, didn't he? So is it just a problem because he's Liverpool's manager now? I don't know um, because I think he's, he's done stuff as Liverpool manager before that people have found funny. Um, I, th- I think people just sort of pick and choose. I think Garth Crooks is very aware that he gets paid on the basis that people click on his column. Um, and loads of people will have clicked on his column because they've seen this and they think it's bullshit. And I'm sure the fellow knows it's bullshit. It's why when he does his, his teams of the week, he picks about eight strikers. Because um, he knows, because yeah, exactly, because he knows people are going to click on it and go, yeah, he's playing Kevin Dubois centre half here. I'm going to send this to three of my mates, and then he gets more doubt. We play Genie with centre half, so maybe he's forward thinking. <laughs> maybe maybe, he is. maybe, maybe he's the next great international coach. <laughs> so, um, like, quick survey then. Dan, do you want Klopp to change? No. Paul, fuck off, Garth. Absolutely not. No. Okay, we'll stick with Klopp I mean, as he the, is. He couldn't be bigger polar opposites than the, the managers, though. I like. Chris Hutton is the most quiet fella Flaccid, in the world. Yeah, yeah. I'm, oh, fuck that. I'm, I'm, I'm all up for what, what Klopp brings. I suppose that, you know, as, as I said, the, these are the fellas that that moan about the game being dumbed down by the media and stuff like that. I don't. They're the, they're the problems and the money in football. I should have said. This is this is what you want. This is passion. This is a fella who still loves football despite the seven million pound salary or whatever it is he's on. That's well, the type of manager that we want in the Premier League, surely to I God. I think as well, at some point, the media have taken issue with the personality of every single Liverpool manager since Benitez, mm. bar Hodgson, um, which probably tells you more than enough. But yet he took exception to Rodgers and the things he used to say in press conferences. Um, when Kenny Daglish was being a bit sort of punchy and feisty with him, he got pissed off with him. Um, they, were, they were furious with Benitez constantly for the way he treated press conferences and stuff like that. So... Yeah, maybe it's just a case of they have a set way of, of, of what they think is the right way of doing things and they don't like it when people conform. Yeah, so Ian Wright, Garth Crooks, anyone else? Fuck yeah. That's been the Anfield Rap. Sports Social Podcast Network.